Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And I'm really looking forward to today's guest. You've heard him as part of the flagrant family. He's the titular cousin in Carl Calls' cousin. Please welcome Asan Williams. Hello. Hello. What's going on, George? Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Definitely my pleasure. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with horror? So I'll put it to you this way, George. I'm very neurotic and... I enjoy horror movies, but anything that's going to be scary or thrilling, I hate surprises. So like, <laughs> like I'm the type of person when I go to like Disneyland and I'm about to get on a ride I've never been on before, I will like go on YouTube on my phone to watch the ride to make sure it's not too scary. Sure. So I do enjoy horror movies, but the, uh, the, the anxiety leading up to it is always the hardest part for me. Once I'm in the theater and the, and the scares and stuff are happening, I'm good. But before that, the lead up is always what kills me. But I, I love horror movies. I'm not a horror movie like expert by any stretch of the imagination, nor am I a part of sort of like what I would call like a diehard horror movie, like classic horror movie nerddom. That's not a particular mm-hmm. hall of nerddom that I visit down too often, <laughs> but I've seen a fair a fair amount of horror movies, and, and I like horror movies enough to have an opinion to like delineate which ones I like and don't like. So hell yeah, I mean hey, that enthusiasm is all all that we could possibly ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy I could uh, d- deliver, even if it's marginal. <laughs> uh, well, I'm curious to hear if there is like a favorite subgenre that you have, something that helps you to get in more readily into a horror movie i mean based on the the pick we have today i either like horror action movies or i like more artsy kind of horror movies that's kind of where i i go most often like i didn't i i was too young to really appreciate like the slashers of the 70s and 80s and stuff like that so like and like the and all the stuff before that like with poltergeist and stuff like that Mm. so like horror for me kind of starts at the point where slashers are starting to be like commented on and stuff like that with scream and all that and then uh, where I fall in love with horror is movies like Blade and, and things like that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Blade is so good. Blade is an amazing movie. It's it's no one talks about it, but it is a, is a great movie. Uh, they should. Yeah, definitely. Um, Guillermo del Toro is a, is a big piece of my horror experience. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of I kind of lo- loved the Saw movies that changed a lot for me. Oh, yeah. But yeah. So my 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 go to subgenre, I think, is like, yeah, it's either like artsy kind of horror, like hereditary type stuff or like action-y kind of horror thrillers nice yeah so you are a dj as well yeah i'm curious if there's any song like you feel was used particularly well in a horror movie i think one of the best uses of a song in a horror movie and i hope no one has said this if you've asked this question before but the stranger the strangers the like the i think it's merle haggard song that is playing on like repeat yeah, yeah, for yeah. like the whole movie almost yeah that to me that's one of the best uses of of a of a song like in a movie wow for yeah sure that's a really great one. Uh, I, of course, love the Mr. Sandman in Halloween 2. Mm-hmm. And I, one that I kind of waffled on if it was cheating or not was to pick uh, the Tito and Tarantula songs in From Dusk Till Dawn, since they are there like as musicians in the movie, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. it plays through the soundtrack. So I was like, maybe that's cheating. But <laughs> yeah, you know, I haven't kept up with Stranger Things too much after season like season two. Right. Yeah, same. But I just saw the clip going around. Um, I don't know, spoilers. Uh, about the Metallica set piece, and I think that looks pretty rad. So I'm a big Metallica fan. So hell that'd yeah, be cool to watch. Yeah, I, I saw that there was a, a big metalhead guy in the uh, in this new season. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, oh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I personally was definitely a kid who got like way into the mythology unit at mm-hmm. school, reading about like Greek and Roman and Egyptian history. Uh-huh. You know, you got the classic Dorling Kindersley Egypt book. Uh, you learn all about mummies and everything. Mm-hmm. So when this movie came out, the movie we're talking about today, The Mummy, uh-huh. 1999, oh, this is prime time for a young George to get the crap scared out of him. <laughs> I'm curious if th- if you're sort of into this ancient civilization thing generally as just like an interest of yours. Yes, 100%. 100%. I'm very into history, especially like prehistoric history. I'm really into that. Like early man type stuff is really interesting to me. I wish more movies were about like early civilizations i think that stuff is very cool stonehenge and and the mayans and ancient egypt and like a a lot of the old african kingdoms like all that kind of stuff like hannibal Mm -hmm. you know all those kinds of things like are very very interesting to me because the idea that like we are on a genetic level the you know 
kin to people that lived such a long time removed from us is like crazy to me. And it that's kind of stuff fascinates me. I'm really excited about that uh Predators movie that's coming out yes. though. Yes. That type <laughs> oh, of stuff. Yes. That's right that's right in my alley in terms of like which is why I kind of lean towards a lot of the artsy horror movies because a lot of that stuff is like folk horror and it's mm-hmm. kind of about that type of stuff. So I'm really into that. Like in in aliens too, I really like alien stuff that comes from that angle. Like, so I was a big fan of like the mythology around like Prometheus and stuff like that because I really like when people approach aliens from the angle of like ancient civilizations and stuff like that. To me, that's my favorite. I'm a, I'm an avid ancient aliens watcher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a true believer. The truth is out there for sure. I recently watched, I wouldn't call it a horror movie, but I watched this movie called The Quest for Fire with mm. Ron Perlman and Radon Chong. Okay. And it was just so interesting. It was like about like Neanderthals. Who like have they haven't been able to make fire, but they know to protect it when like lightning strikes and they can like preserve it and feed it and everything. And then the fire goes out and it's about like this one tribe's like attempt to find a new source of fire. And I was like, man, I can't believe how entertaining this movie is. They like there's like so minimal dialogue. It's all through like grunting and stuff. It was just really cool. You're talking my language right now. What is it called? Quest for Fire? Yeah, Quest for Fire. Oh, man, I'm going to watch this as soon as we're done. That's crazy. Hell yeah. Great movie. <laughs> yeah, if you have any other early man movies, fictional or otherwise, send them to me. I like stuff yeah. like that. This movie in particular was mm-hmm. a long time in the making. As far back as the late 80s, the producers were looking to reboot The Mummy, and Universal agreed, but they were looking for a low-budget horror franchise with an earmarked budget around like $10 million. Much, yeah, <laughs> yeah, much lower, much lower than this. <laughs> While I was doing my research, I stumbled upon an archived copy of the June 1999 Cinefantastique magazine. Oh my goodness. It had not one, but several interesting articles about okay. the then-upcoming Mummy, the original, and even some of the ones we almost got. Huh. Yeah. And so, like I said, this movie is 12 years in development. There were nine writers attached and five directors, including Joe Dante and George Romero. So it's not like small beans. Mm -hmm. The Romero attached one was called A Violent Foot Race, where the mummy started ripping people apart on page four. Uh, I mean, I can't say that doesn't appeal to me in some way. Oh, no, I get it. I know. Totally. That sounds amazing. Just pedal to the metal right away. That'd be great. We also, on the show last week, talked about Hellraiser, directed Mm -hmm. by Clive Barker, and there was a Clive Barker treatment that used the mummy as a jumping off point into a a, a grim movie about the alien intelligences that ancient Egyptians were involved with. Mm. So I think that there's a, a really cool version of the movie that... Used like Cenobite mummies that uh, that <laughs> kind of were more uh, part of a larger yeah. story that was being told in an interesting way. Yeah, that sounds cool. I think a version of that would be cool. And well, you know what's funny? I was looking up the director of this guy named Steven Summers, and like, <laughs> what I realized is he's done a lot of movies that I like. I have a soft spot. Uh, the subgenre I think I'm discovering that I like. Uh, when it comes to horror is horror action stuff but like i really have a soft spot for like these movies that kind of don't exist anymore like the kind of medium budget horror action like van helsing and that type of stuff like i love that kind of stuff (laughs) i have a soft spot in my heart for anything with like you know cool anti-heroes fighting you know ancient monsters and stuff like that i'm super into that as well hell yeah i mean look we already talked about blade Rachel Wise, who's in this movie, yep. is in Constantine, which is that falls right into there. Amazing totally. movie as well. Way underrated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Stephen Summers, after all of these directors fell through for one reason or another, he uh-huh. found his chance to slide in. And he, he said he'd loved the mummy since he was a kid. Mm-hmm. This was a quote. He said, I always felt sorry for Frankenstein. Dracula was kind of cool and sexy, but the mummy was really creepy. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about your thoughts on like the universal monsters in general, if the mm-hmm. mummy does stand out to you even back then, or if this is really just kind of incorporating the action element in a cool way. I think what makes this movie stand out to me the most is that it made the mummy into something that I could actually be afraid of. Yeah. Um, or at the very least that I thought was cool on screen, because before this version of the movie, I never thought of the mummy as being something like truly scary or or even cool to look at. Because, you know, up until this time, like the mummies we gotten had either been like, you know, animated mummies on Scooby-Doo and stuff like that, or like, 
you know, the mummies from like the golden era sort of universal monster movies and, and you know, some guy in, in gauze, you know, right. <laughs> and I think this movie, which was, you know, at the time, I'm sure it was like groundbreaking CGI and stuff like that, like yeah. created a type of mummy that I think honestly, like the way that like having a completely CG character that's kind of undead and stuff like that, like we wouldn't have Pirates of the Caribbean without this. You know what I mean? Like definitely it really kind of revolutionized like using that as like a launch point like all right our creature is going to be fully cg and it's gonna that's where you know we're gonna get it we're gonna make it scary by kind of making it more of a surreal version of something instead of like a truly like realistic version of it i thought that was really really effective at the time so yeah i this movie made the mummy like cool and scary and cutting edge for me so i totally agree i found this really interesting quote from the visual effects supervisor Mm -hmm. who said We wanted to make sure our mummy wasn't what everyone expected. Mm -hmm. If you tossed this idea around town, you'd have people saying you could easily outrun them or why not tear their arms off. Mm -hmm. We really wanted to create something that would be frightening and dangerous, something that you'd never seen before. Mm -hmm. We wanted to create a photorealistic living corpse that was obviously not a man in a suit, obviously not an animatronic, and obviously alive. And yeah, I mean, that's as good a reason for a CGI mummy as I could possibly imagine. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah, I think it, it looks great. What they were able to do in that movie is crazy because I, I still like it's still scary. Like when I watch it, I'm like, man, that looks crazy. Yeah, uh. there's a there's an interesting part of these interviews that Steven Summers was doing where he talks mm-hmm. about how they wanted to expand the viewership and make it more accessible to people, but stay mm-hmm. true to those genre roots. And that meant infusing the traditional gothic horror with romance and adventure, like in a Michael Curtiz movie, who he specifically called out as his favorite director. Mm. And I think that. By keeping these moments of genuine horror, like the scarabs and stuff, mm-hmm. when you when you keep those as like a punchy moment that comes in this adventure romance comedy movie, like the horror becomes that much more intense and it be it casts a great shadow on all of those other elements because now you're going, Oh, this is a horror movie. When can I like, when I'm just waiting for the next moment, I'm, I'm sitting here shaking, waiting for the next scare to come out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I get it. Like I, I love, I love that he married those two elements because I think it elevates the movie. I think this movie, like there's a version of this movie that is just like a straight up kind of horror slasher movie. And it's pro- and it could be awesome, but I think what makes this movie special is I think all of the emotional elements. Titanic is one of my favorite movies, and I'm always blown away when I watch it. Like I probably watch it once a year at this point. I'm always blown away when I watch Titanic because James Cameron took a like a disaster movie, which should be just a disaster movie, and like crafted this this love story around that you yeah. care more about the love story than you do even the ship sinking for most of the movie. And I I think that like is a a very powerful like all movies don't have to do that, but I think when movies choose to do that i think it often elevates like what the whatever the subject matter is and i think it's just it's great like this movie it doesn't stick out in people's memories the way it does without the the comedy beats and honestly without the romance beats those are some of the best beats in the movie so yeah definitely it helps to make it you, you see the human stakes of it you know yeah. it's not just the disaster or the mummy is killing a bunch of people it's mm-hmm. oh those are the people i like and want to make it out of this situation mm-hmm. 100% and that rides and dies with our man brendan fraser <laughs> i mean he's this great errol flynn style hero rick o'connell uh-huh. and and Summers said he felt there was a pretty similar charm to Errol Flynn because Fraser could take a punch as well as throw one, make you laugh, and laugh at himself. And I think that that's really a great sort of summation of what makes this character so special. Yeah, totally. Like, you believe he's the toughest guy in the room without, like, him having to be, a like, a jackass? You know what I mean? Like, you know? <laughs> He's not just posturing all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Self-assured and confident and funny and charming and not afraid to, like look ridiculous like uh, yeah he's good and and, you know his character is kind of like a a a commentary on like typical american protagonists and stuff like that and i think it's a fun performance it's a performance that like i think he gave him his all to but is not taking too serious to where like it loses its charm you know absolutely absolutely in starlog magazine summer said that about 25 percent of the budget went to special effects Mm-hmm. And he told Entertainment Weekly that that budget wound up at around $62 million, which means that it's about $15 million to special effects. And they went to the best in the biz at the time, Industrial Lights and Magic, which mm-hmm. is, of course, founded by George Lucas. 
and working on the phantom menace at the same time that they were working on this movie wow i did find this really funny quote where he was talking about the way his previous movie had flopped and he was more Mm -hmm. confident about this performing well despite that challenge and he said bottom line the mummy is a much more commercial movie it just Mm -hmm. turned out that way the title is known worldwide then again who knows it's also coming out around the same time as the new star wars he laughs (laughs) if i thought we had made a so-so movie I would put a gun to my head because the new (laughs) Star Wars is going to sell out for the entire summer. But I think we made a good movie. Hey, every theater can't play Star Wars, right? (laughs) If only you knew, Steve. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, he he had no idea what the world would become. (laughs) Very funny. It truly just felt very ironic now looking back at it. But they were using industrial lights and magic and it, mm-hmm. it really does look spectacular especially like you said cutting edge at the time i think mm-hmm. it's still going back to it now this is passable cg for something that was oh, coming out today 100 percent, yeah 100 <laughs> percent. there's stuff that comes out today that like yeah it doesn't, doesn't look nearly as good as this yeah yeah so that visual effects supervisor his name is john burton him and about a hundred artists took five months for research and development, two months of shooting, and ten months of post-production to build this mummy. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we they use CGI. There's also motion capture stuff, plus keyframe animation and procedural systems, so his like guts swing around and mm-hmm. things stretch and sway. Mm-hmm. And it does look really great. And I think part of what's also great about this movie is that instead of just shooting the one take where they're acting against nothing and saying, mm-hmm. hey we'll put it in in post they also utilize the guy who plays the mummy mm-hmm. act against the rest of the cast even in the moments where it was going to be a cg creation mm-hmm. and i think that that does help to bring it to another level when you have the actual actor there to act against you know even just a stand-in is not going to be the mm-hmm. same yeah and man and hats off to arnold Vosloo too man he i think he <laughs> he's the mvp of this movie because i think he he's playing the role just tongue-in-cheek enough I love his performance in this movie. I think he's great. Like, he he's asked to do a lot of acting, like, kind of just with his eyes and with his face for a lot of the movie. And right. uh, he does a really good job of being menacing when he needs to be, but also being, you know, sympathetic when he needs to be. And he's doing all of that really without talking. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did a great job. I think he's really good in this movie. Absolutely. Summers himself said that after 30 seconds, they knew it was going to be Vosloo. And he's mm-hmm. usually very trepidatious about casting, he said. Mm-hmm. And Vosloo specifically said that he wanted to play up the romance angle so that it was a more concrete character, creating Mm -hmm. this sort of dual love story, one dark where he returns from beyond the grave and he's trying to restore his lost love. And then this is balanced by Rick and Evie falling for each other. Mm -hmm. And I think it really does help to make this, like you said, a more emotional movie to have the rest of the stuff happening to elevate these love stories. Yeah. And also I think it's, it's, it's kind of, I would call it a progressive movie in the sense that like, you know, if this movie were made in the fifties, like it would be much more cut and dry. Like you would never hear the mummy speak. It would just be the mummy's evil. We're, and we're the good guys. We're going to kill it. But there's this movie invites so much moral gray area to it. And essentially by, you know, having the mirrored love stories, it's almost like, yeah, you, you may think you're the hero of this story, Rick O'Connell, but you're, you're just fighting for someone you love like I am. You know what wow. I mean? Yeah. It makes it dubious as to like who's now, obviously, once he starts dehydrating people's bodies, it's a little <laughs> different. But, you know, it, it does invite some moral gray into like a big blockbuster, you know, good guy versus bad guy movie. Definitely. And hey. They put the curse on him. He didn't want to do all that Blake <laughs> stuff. <to> that. Right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he was kind of screwed from the beginning. <laughs> Evie is played by Rachel Wise. She's also amazing in this. Mm-hmm. She's great in The Lobster, The Favorite. She does such a great job in this movie creating a textured character that doesn't just feel like they could be swapped in with like a treasure, let's say, and nothing would change. You know, mm-hmm. she's fighting. She's driving the story. She's knowledgeable. And this is, uh, I think, just a really great character, uh, especially, like you said, in a, in a genre that doesn't always get that. You know, these action-adventure mm-hmm. movies, especially ones that are homaging these 20s through 50s movies, it, it this is really, I think, a great leap forward for this kind of character. Yeah, like, the movies that do this well, I think, are few and far between, because there's movies like... Like, uh, to me, in my opinion, a movie that is a good movie, but I think does what this movie does not as well is a movie like Robin Hood Men in Tights, where it's a it's a parody on Robin Hood movies. But, 
you don't ever really take it seriously as a Robin Hood movie. It's kind of like right. a parody first, like a satire comment commentary first. Whereas, like, I feel like movies like the this movie, The Mummy, and like Galaxy Quest is another one where they kind of do the parody and self-referential comedy and make commentary on the tropes. But it also is a compelling mummy movie. It is a compelling sci-fi movie. So I think yeah. this movie does that really, really well. Definitely, yeah. And I, I think it, it does help that they clearly love the source material so much. They just see, you know, the flaws don't mean that you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, you can say, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna make it a better version. Mm-hmm. 100%, yeah. The Art Department Bible was a book in the British Museum Library that Napoleon commissioned when he invaded Egypt and cataloged all the artifacts and tombs. <laughs> I I thought this was kind of a cool touch just because when we first see Rick O'Connell, he yeah. is fri- fighting with the French Legion, so that like is who it would have been, uh, like that army. I was like, oh, that's a fun little touch. That That's the perspective they're coming from. Yeah, it really uh, it really puts it in like the real world. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not just you know Egypt at some time in history. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they did shoot on location in Marrakesh, Morocco, for the desert stuff, and then mm-hmm. they finished on sets in a London studio. These location shoots are definitely beautiful. Yeah, but they were reportedly a challenge for the cast. Uh, I enjoyed these quotes from Fraser. First, he said. One of the producers told us, I took out a million dollar kidnapping insurance policy on you. And we said, so basically you put a bounty on our head and he walked away saying, that's one way to look at it. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. There were also like scorpions and snakes, classic desert animals that you're Mm going to get. And the other quote was, they sent out a memo describing a type of snake. I think it had yellow dots on it. And they said, if you see this kind of snake, do not go near it because if it bites you at best, they'll amputate your limb. Anyway, there I was pissing down a rock and I looked down and there's the yellow dot snake. So oh my I God. said, fuck and ran for it. That's crazy. <laughs> there you go. Fraser putting himself at risk. Yeah. 15% or however, 25% of their budget went to visual effects. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I bet the other 75 went to insurance. <laughs> <laughs> snake insurance. Snake insurance. Heat insurance. Yeah. They said that they got like a warning about like not drinking the water because there was bacteria in it. But uh-huh. then... Those people were also, like, making ice with the water and being uh, like, oh, fun fact about how ice is made. Yeah, guys, I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> I'm about to blow your minds. <laughs> Summers said that when the location scouts found a disused ancient prison in an extinct volcano, it not only was a cool place to put Hominoptera from a visual perspective, but also did help with the story aspect of wanting a hidden city that wasn't so small as to be boring, but not so big that it wouldn't be comical that people hadn't found it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Test audiences were tepid, and it looked like this movie was actually going to flop until the Super Bowl ad that came out. Hmm. And suddenly everyone got hyped as hell. This is like a classic example of the Super Bowl ad really being worth the money. They mm-hmm. got it in front of everyone. People were stoked. They did move it from the end of May to early May in order to avoid some of the conflict with the Phantom Menace. Mm -hmm. And it worked because not only did it make its money back, it got up to $416 million internationally Mm -hmm. and saved Universal from bankruptcy after a string of flops. So this movie, literally any movie that comes out after 1999 from Universal you can thank this movie for it existing. Man, that's that's great. I had no idea that it did that. Yeah. There we go. It's a big one. So let's get into the actual movie now. Sure. I love right away this amazing like scene setting pan across Thebes, the city of the living. <laughs> and we're introduced to Imhotep, the high priest, mm-hmm. and Anaxunamun, the mm-hmm. pharaoh's mistress. And if you can believe it, they're in love. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I thought it was a fun touch that Imhotep's priests were all painted gold. It's like a very visually striking scene to start out with. Mm-hmm. And when the Pharaoh is about to discover their affair, they murder him. And his his soldiers come after them and Anak commits suicide rather than submit. And, you know, um, uh, you know, I forgot to look up her name. The woman, I'll, I'll look it up right now. The woman who's playing Anak Sunamun, uh-huh. she has a very small like amount of screen time but she is really doing a lot with it especially since it's not she doesn't get dialogue or anything the Mm -hmm. physicality of it the look that she's bringing to it it's a really powerful scene i think and uh, her name is patricia velasquez okay 
Yeah, she no, she's great in it. And I think she's in the sequel too, right? With a bigger role. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. she's mm-hmm. like bringing, she's trying to bring him back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, she, yeah, she's great. Yeah, I don't know if that was like her first big thing, but she was really, really good in it. Yeah, and to resurrect her after this suicide, Imhotep takes her to Hamanoptra, the city of the dead, burial site for sons of pharaohs and the wealth of Egypt, and there mm-hmm. he seals the book of the dead, which, along with with its counterpart, the book of Amun Ra, contains the secret incantations of the in- ancient kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost works, but the soldiers stop the ritual right before her soul returns and then mummify the priests alive. That's some damn horror for you. Mm-hmm. This, this is part of what I like about it is that it really is playing into some of the like grotesqueries of just like the normal mm-hmm. habits of, of, of these cultures where it's like, oh, yeah, they like poked around in your brain with the stick and pulled it out through your nose. And it's just a very fun way to be like, yeah, this is scary. <laughs> Yeah, that that scene is one of the more horrific scenes, uh, and it does so much to plot wise to like set up the all the traps and stuff for later. <laughs> yeah, with like it, it it introduces us to the scarab beetles, all of that. Yeah, that's such a great scene. It's a it really is a good use of montage. Yeah, he's Imhotep himself gets the Hamdai, the worst of the ancient curses. Which mm-hmm. he, it's literally the first time they brought this out. <laughs> they said, "Uh, oh, this was bad enough." <laughs> yeah, like they had a they had a table meeting about how they're yeah. going to. Uh, should we bring out the uh, the Hamdai? I know it's been yeah. sitting in development for a while. <laughs> Two people have to turn the key at the same time mm-hmm. to yep. unleash the Hamdai. Mm-hmm. There's an audience and a hooded uh, <laughs> undertaker. <laughs> he is buried alive, though, in this coffin full of scarabs. It is pretty brutal. That's I crazy. get why they don't bring it out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's horrific. The screams, I'm sure, were nuts. Yeah. So on the DVD, there's uh-huh. a commentary with the guy who plays Benny, Kevin O'Connor. Oh, he's great. He's great. The guy who plays Ardeth Bay, Oded Fair, uh-huh. and Arnold Vosloo, who plays Imhotep. Oh, that's great. It's a really fun group where it's like they're important and involved, but also not like the leads necessarily. Mm-hmm. So they get some time to like hang out and watch. I was like, mm-hmm. this is a really like good way to do a commentary. Yeah. But Vosloo said in this moment, bondage is not my thing. And after this scene, I know this for sure. They wrapped me from head to toe, and I couldn't move for four hours. Sounds awful. That sounds terrible. <laughs> oh, man. I love that they're like, the Magi said, make sure this seal holds, because otherwise, this guy is going to be, like, so powerful. A walking plague, control the sands, bad stuff. I'm like, this seems like a risk that you shouldn't be taking. Yeah, just just cut his throat and throw him out in a ditch. Like, I don't know why we have to, you know, I don't know why we have to do this thing that risks the end of all of us. <laughs> They're like, we'll be gone. <laughs> That's for future generations yeah. to worry about. <laughs> it's a weird way for that to work. Yeah. <laughs> I do love this title card, though. I lo- First of all, I love a delayed title card. Mm-hmm. But second of all, yep. the bandages blowing off the name is really cool. Mm-hmm. And then the statue becoming weathered as mm-hmm. time passes ooh, all the way to 1923. <laughs> yeah. ILM is doing a good job of showing off all their latest technology. <laughs> Hell yeah. Morphs. <laughs> The Magi are still around watching over things, and Uh right now, things includes Rick O'Connell fighting a pretty fun battle sequence with the French Legion. Uh He is left to die, though, by the cowardly Benny, but all the enemy's forces' horses go wild, and he's left alone. They said that it was difficult to make all the horses react at once, but, quote, the horses were geniuses compared to the camels. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, I don't don't see camels as being really good at taking direction. (laughs) Yeah, they do what they want. Yeah, that seems like it. One of the few spitting animals. <laughs> so. Yeah. They're just like, it's too hot. I don't want to go over there. It's too hot. <laughs> There's a whispering that says, you will die. And uh-huh. a, the mummy face appears in the sand. Mm-hmm. That's freaky. It's all the convincing I need to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. And that's all the convincing Rick needs, too, because he mm-hmm. gets the hell out of Dodge, flees into the desert, although he does feel the eyes of the Magi upon him. Yeah. I like that about his character too. We I don't want to breeze by it because I think it's important. I think it's one of the things that makes his character his character likable is that he he does recognize when he's outmatched and like he's yeah. not afraid to be like, all right, I'm done doing this now. <laughs> <laughs> like he's realistic. He's not one of these like you know he's not Tom Cruise. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. that's a great point, and you can even see it later when they're talking about like, hey, what's up with this curse? And he's like, I believe in being prepared. Yeah. Whether it's real or not, like, I want to have my options open. Totally. Yeah, it makes him seem more real. Definitely. 
cut to the Cairo Museum of Antiquities, which the mm-hmm. Marrakesh City Hall stands in for here. Very cool looking building. Mm-hmm. And we meet Evelyn, who works in the library there. We get this fun ladder stunt and the dominoes with all the bookcases falling <laughs> over. Yep. They also use it as an excuse to list her resume, which is that she can read and speak ancient Egyptian, along with deciphering hieroglyphics. Also, she has rich parents. <laughs> that helps. Yeah. Always helps. <laughs> Not enough experience, though, according to some Bembridge uh, mm. scholars. Mm. Her brother, Jonathan, has arrived. I lo- I think this prank is so funny, where he jumps out with the corpse and like, waves at her. <laughs> one of, yeah, one of the best jump scares in the movie. <laughs> it's a joke. Yeah. He's a drunk, and he's in a career tailspin, supposedly, but he shows her something he claims to have found on a dig in Thebes, a puzzle box container for a map showing the way to Hominoptera. The curator, Terrence Bay, however, burns the map like an asshole and then goes, well, for the best, probably. (laughs) (laughs) That guy had the right idea, though. Whatever's out there, leave it. (laughs) That's right. Jonathan takes her to see the man he stole the map from, who is Rick currently in jail and about to be hanged. He says he can tell them how to get there, though, if they get him out, giving Evie a smooch before he's being let off, Mm -hmm. uh, much to her surprise. Evie offers 500 pounds to the warden, but he tries to extort sex from her, and her refusal (laughs) makes the crowd laugh at him. So on with the hanging. He's great, too. That actor is hilarious. Yes, he's so funny. He is uh, an English comedian, I believe, they said in the commentary. And uh, they said that he was he just didn't stop. He was making people laugh when the cameras weren't rolling to when they were. Yeah, he's great. The problem is that Rick is so beefy. Well, problem in quotes, I guess, because it means that he survives. But he his his neck doesn't break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's just hanging there choking uh, until Evelyn reveals their plan and cuts the warden in for 25 percent. Mm-hmm. Fraser was choked out for real from the pressure on his carotid artery during the uh, hanging scene. Wow. Yeah. This leads to a funny he's right behind me moment as they get ready to head off for their adventure. And she's like, he's a rude, filthy scoundrel. And then he's there all cleaned up and looking good behind her. Someone I know. (laughs) He looks great, too, by the way. Like, Uh, he looks fantastic with that haircut. Everyone, pretty much everyone in this movie is a hunk or a babe Mm -hmm. or something in between. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A lot of good looking (laughs) folks in this movie. Yeah. On the boat, Rick is packing heavy weaponry, and he warns Evelyn that there's something evil underneath the sand, but she has her eyes locked on the book of Amun-Ra. Rick discovers that Benny is on board as well, and he's leading a group of Americans to Hominoptera as well. So now there's a fun uh, race going, a cool ticking clock that gets you, oh, like <laughs> let's, let's see how this turns out. Mm-hmm. And he does throw Benny overboard after Benny tells him, you always did have more balls than brains. I really love the, like childish back and forth between the two of these characters it's a really Mm -hmm. great dynamic Mm -hmm. he also notices some wet footprints going after evelyn and storms in when a magi warrior has her at knife point asking about the map and to her surprise a key they don't know about this key Mm. he shoots a guy out the window while evelyn stabs her assailant with a candle in the eye which is brutal brutal (laughs) that's look there's a lot of like gross deaths in that in this movie i feel like that's probably one of the most painful fire inside your eye <laughs> yeah and to think about it like they're the good guys <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> which is wow. especially crazy yeah wow <laughs> there the lantern falls in this struggle though and causes a huge fire fun set piece to have this giant boat on fire mm-hmm. he says to forget the map because it's all in his head but the wounded magi grabs the box saying it's the key until Jonathan shoves him into a flaming couch. <laughs> it really insult to injury for this guy. Yeah, I, that, was, that was funny. <laughs> Never too much going on to get, uh, get a little physical comedy in there, a little slapstick. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> and we get some fun action, too. Some fun, like, swashbuckling in this mm-hmm. scene as they make their escape. John does get out, too, after the Americans blow the shit out of a guy who's on fire and threatening him. This, again, feels like a commentary on, like, uh, American movie <laughs> style of solving problems. Yeah. <laughs> Benny survives, too, though, and he has all the horses, but mm-hmm. he's on the wrong side of the river. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably the line from the movie I quote the most. It's a good one. It's it a is. a really good one. The sing-song aspect, really, yeah. he hits it perfect. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they buy some camels. They head out into the desert beautiful location the difficult shoots do pay off you know mm-hmm. it really looks spectacular the magi are still watching though <laughs> magi are always watching 
always watching. <laughs> and we run into Benny and the Americans. Both groups are waiting for the right time of day that breaks the illusion. And I mean, Hamanoptera is there in the cr- in the crater. It looks awesome. This reveal is so cool. Mm-hmm. And the race is on. They've got this $500 bet about who gets there first. So camel sprints. Although the one guy's on a little donkey and it takes off in a very funny way. He looks very surprised. (laughs) Yeah. The donkeys are funny. Classic. Hey, got a great name. Jackass right there. Mm -hmm. O'Connell throws Benny off his camel so that he and Evie are the first ones to make it. And they work quickly to get into the tomb while the Americans watch suspiciously. And they're looking for the secret compartment inside of a statue of Anubis. But they get fended off by this larger party. And so they plan to dig up from beneath instead. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the people brought along to do the grunt work get freaking melted by pressurized salt acid trap. Mm-hmm. That's grody. That was horrible. And it would have hit our crew if they had gone, <laughs> yeah. gone for it. Yeah, another. Uh, there's a lot of body horror in this movie. And that was one of the first yeah. more like gruesome ones. Well, they're coming up on the second one because the warden who made sure to let us know that he hates bugs wanders off and he finds some blue gold scarabs that he starts ripping off the wall but when he drops one in the sand it burrows into his shoe and then not just up his pant leg like you might expect but into his damn bod and up through it to his brain it's really like a scary reveal when he opens his shirt and it's under the skin yeah i don't think i've i don't think i had seen anything like that up until that point like something burrowing under the skin and you can kind of see it's like yeah it was horrible yeah, this is really, like, since seeing this movie as a child, like, that is really the scene that, pardon the pun, but burrowed into me. <laughs> and and what the, 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 to me, the most, like, horrific part of that scene is the way it ends. So after, after you watch bugs crawling up and down this guy's skin, then he runs full speed headfirst into a wall, and they do not cut away, and there is a horrible <laughs> sound effect. Uh, it, it is brutal yeah, to watch. It really is. It's a uh, it's pretty grody and this interrupts the uh, discovery by our trio that the the sarcophagus which drops in front of them they discover that the key is uh, the little puzzle box but then yeah the warden comes screaming in <laughs> friggin oh man it's it's hard it's hard to watch this guy be in such pain that he slams into that yeah, wall. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. It is brutal. They start to question if the place really is cursed, and I like how we've got the three. Like I said, Rick Rick says that he believes in being prepared. John says that he believes in the curse, and Evie says, I believe in what I can mm-hmm. see and touch. The Magi storm the American camp. I really loved Jonathan, like, lazily firing his gun while he's sipping on some mm-hmm. scotch. <laughs> and they fight to a standstill when Rick lights some dynamite, and the leader says, you have one day to leave or we'll kill you. Mm-hmm. That night, Evie and Rick get a little closer. You're wondering what a place like me is doing in a girl like another, this. Another one that's line. quoted very often. She says her parents were explorers and adventurers, and she's going to kiss Rick, but then she passes out on the mm-hmm. lean-in. Classic Evie. Uh, unbelievable. Can't, she's, she nope. can't hold her liquor, nope. I guess. She's, she talks a big game. She talks a big game. <laughs> the Americans find a chest that warns them of the curse. Spooky when the lights dim, and it says... Death will come on swift wings to whomever opens it. The mummy will carry it out, assimilate their flesh, and take over. Benny does freak out and runs away, but the Americans disregard it and open it on up. Downstairs, John and Rick open a Motep's coffin, and they all investigate. I really thought it was funny. This is like a funny, like, it is a joke, but it's like done through the editing where they're like, well, we just won't resurrect this guy, and then it won't be a problem. And then <laughs> it cuts to them opening up the sarcophagus and being like, oh, here he is. <laughs> now, the corpse is all fucked up from the bugs, but it is in weirdly good shape for 3,000 years old in terms of having some meat on the bones. Mm-hmm. They also see some fingernail scrapes on the inside, which that's some true terror shit being mm-hmm. buried alive. No, no, thank you. No, that's horrible. Have you seen the movie Buried with Ryan Reynolds? Oh, man. Yeah, that one is horrible. <sighs> Claustrophobia is real. He even carved a message inside on with his fingernails saying, death is only the beginning. And I really love the like angled zoom in on Imhotep's corpse there. Yes. So it's just a fun. They're having a good time. Yeah. Very old Hollywood. Very like dun, dun, dun. <laughs> very 1930s serial yeah. kind of, you know. The chest held the book of the dead after all. Evie clocks one of the other parties struggling with it, and she warns them all that night of the legend of the Hamdai and the victim coming back, bringing the ten plagues of Egypt. And then while this guy is sleeping, Evie steals the book from him. 
No harm ever came from reading a book, she says, while unlocking it. Oh, Evie. Yeah. A weirdly uh, naive line coming from someone who works in a library. Yeah, right? <laughs> the guy wakes up and he finds her reading the book. Unfortunately, he is too late to stop her. And the mummy is awake, folks. <laughs> yep. Here come the locusts. Yep. <laughs> they all run into the tomb. Although one guy named Burns trips and literally goes, my glasses. <laughs> yeah. friggin' jinky's ass. Velma ass Scooby Doo motherfucker in here. <laughs> and of course, Benny stomps on him, leaving him to be eaten. Yeah. The three, our, our main three, find a swarm of scarabs erupting from the sand and they run. And look, maybe it would do something because there's so many of them, but there was something very funny to me about Rick, like turning and firing a gun at the bugs. <laughs> I was like, would that hit anything? <laughs> yeah. No, I think that was great. And I think it, I wonder if. The visual effects supervisor had something to do with that or like the special effects department because what i think it does do is sure like you may never turn around and try to fire your gun at him <laughs> but i think like having him being able to like sh- turn around and like shoot something and then being able to have the real life squib and marry that with like the digital bugs kind of like mm. puts the digital bugs in an environment it makes them feel like yeah. they're there you know what i mean sure definitely yeah that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. we also do get to see them quickly take down one of the american groups so this is also a good way to establish them as a threat yes they work quickly when they're uh, not in a coffin (laughs) they're taking their time yeah yeah we're locked in here we're good we can pace ourselves (laughs) evie tumbles through a secret passage and she finds burns used to be a four eyes now he's a no eyes (laughs) imhotep took his eyes and tongue and and corners evie asking about his millennia old love And I thought this was really interesting because during the commentary, one of them says that the original script plays with the idea that because he took this guy's eyes, he has bad eyesight. And that's why he thinks Evie is a knock. I think there's, yeah, there's elements of that in this version. Uh, They never go too hard in saying that, but there's elements of whatever that was in this version for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think it is cool. It's the kind of thing where it's like, I see the the pieces of this for sure. Mm -hmm. I think it is. it it adds a cool amount to it, just like way under the surface. They should have just had a pickup shot where they have him putting in uh, contact lenses every day before he goes (laughs) out and kills everybody. It's an ancient Egyptian translated. Ah, much better. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We get like a whole montage sequence where he goes to like a doctor. Lens crafters, like, yeah. A or B. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in his in his robes because he's and he's got the hole in his face because he's not all the way all the way reformed yet. Uh, you're gonna have to do something about the bugs. We can't have bugs just crawling in and out of your face while we're doing the eye test, Emotep. Now these are gonna dry out your eyes, and they're already pretty dry. So you're gonna want to make sure you take some- double the drops. <laughs> take start with double the drops. You do sand coming out of your eyeballs. Take take double the drops. That's our baseline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just start from there. They do all find Evie again, though, and Rick shoots the mummy before they all run. The Magi stop them, though, and warn them to run further mm-hmm. while they try and stop the mummy. They're like, don't just run to your camp. Get out of here, because mm-hmm. this thing is coming for you. Benny tries several religions protections as the mummy approaches him. An amazing all, scene. Yes, very funny yes it's like just handled very funny but then when he does get to speaking in hebrew and it finally clicks with the mummy as something that he recognizes i'm like man this is like a fun detail for them to be Mm -hmm. using like it didn't have to go this way and for them to use this as the way that benny becomes like uh, ingratiated with the mummy i think it's just such a fun way to handle it yeah I think that's a great choice. I think it not only does that scene like <laughs> give Benny a reason to like work for the mummy, but also just like it gives you a real insight into who Benny is as a person. <laughs> he's <laughs> just at any cost. He's just trying to make sure his ass is covered. And yeah, yeah. any God that'll have him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, that was great. That was a great scene. And the mummy does offer Benny a bunch of gold to serve him. So he says, all right, I'm in. Yep. Evie and Rick disagree about next steps because she wants to help stop the mummy. And Rick just wants to get away. They finished. He said that he would get her there and get her out. And now the contract is over. Meanwhile, Benny is helping the mummy sneak in and finish killing the glasses guy, which consummates the curse and brings the next plague as all of their drinks turn to blood. Mm -hmm. Next up is meteors. 
what an escalation from the <laughs> cups being like, oh, this is kind of gross to people just lighting on fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little cosmic horror in here. The mummy also kicks Rick's ass in this moment. We've seen how effective and buff Rick is and, and how he can handle himself no problem. Mm-hmm. So for now, for the mummy to be tossing him around is a really great way to establish him as dangerous as well. True. A cat scares him away, though, just in time as he goes to grab Evie. Uh, this fun little sandstorm teleport I liked as mm-hmm. he gets out of there. It's a great power. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is a great power. Mm-hmm. Underutilized in, in mummies. <laughs> yeah, he should do that a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone is like, what's his interest in Evie? And so they go to Dr. Bay, the curator, looking for answers. And it turns out that he was working with the Magi all along and the leader of the Magi. So this kind of confused me a little bit because okay. they are, both of their last names are Bay. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, these are like brothers or son or uncle or some kind of familiar relationship. Mm-hmm. But then I saw that it actually is B-A-Y and B-E-Y. So I don't know if that was a spelling mistake and they are related. Could be. Or if they're just two characters named Bay, but different spellings and they're not related, just working together. Could be either way. I think every Magi who joins their ranks has to take that last name. It's like a a company last name, but they do let you personalize it by picking how you spell it. Nice. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot of fun. People just start throwing in a lot of silent letters and stuff. Yeah. There's somebody who just spells it B-A with like that long A sign over it. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, we honestly got pretty lucky that it's just like for the difference is just a y and e y. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Also, this does explain why he burnt the map earlier. Yes, so, <laughs> he yes. wasn't just being an asshole. He was <laughs> trying to hide it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they tell her that he has chosen her for the sacrifice to bring back his love, and that this might give them enough time to fight him. Rick and John go looking for the Egyptologist, who is also being pursued for his flesh while the other two Americans on the chopping block stay behind and guard the room that Rick locks Evie in, much to her fury. Mm-hmm. They find Benny pillaging the office. Amazing chair throw by Rick. To oh, that, that what an incredible stunt. That was crazy. It looked like it hurt so bad. Yes. Like, there was nothing pretty about it, just in the legs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It looked so it's, painful. It looked so painful. And so, like I said, Benny is one of the guys who was in this commentary, and he was like, no matter how much they tried to pad me, Brendan is just so strong that I'm like getting thrown around this room and I had bruises for the next couple of weeks because he's kicking my ass. It's so funny. He does say it's better to be the right hand of the devil than be in his path. Another one that's quoted. Great line. Great line. Yeah. He, but he admits that the mummy wants the book back for resurrecting his his uh, uh, his love. And I love Rick threatening him with the ceiling fan. That's a cool cool move and they said that this was actually improvised by the director once they got there and he just saw the ceiling fan. he was like hey let's finish with that Mm -hmm. a scream gives benny enough time to flee out the window and it turns out it was the mummy eating the egyptologist right there in public and he's Mm -hmm. closer to normal but his mouth unhinges and releases the horde of flies Mm -hmm. Ugh, i hate this unhinged josh (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's really unsettling it's uh it's a it's a cool effect that it has been, I think, used into the ground, but uh, yeah. it really works here, for sure. It really works here. Mm-hmm. It also, we get this great little moment where after he gets into the room where Evie is, and he takes out the American guy that was there, where the scarab, like, crawls out of his chest and into his cheek, and he just eats it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what a gross, fun little moment to really be like, yeah, we're having a fun time. Like, this is a monster movie. Mm-hmm. He pours through the lock as sand. Also very cool power. He should do that more often. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's not utilizing his sand powers. No, he's not. He's not using the full percentage of his brain. He needs to take mummy (laughs) limitless. (laughs) He wants that pill. Yeah, he got to get the pill. (laughs) He he kisses her with his nasty ass mummy mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And Rick bursts in, scares him off with the cat. And I thought it was very funny when he asks Evie if she's all right. And John answers saying, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan, the brother, is uh, is also uh, a great performance in this. He's, he's like m- a lot of the comic relief. And he's, he's very funny throughout this. He does a great job with it, for sure. Mm-hmm. She thinks that they need the gold book to take him out if the black book is what brought him back, which is mm-hmm. back in Hominoptera in the statue of Horus, not Anubis. These fucking Bembridge scholars don't know <laughs> shit. They have no real other, real other experience. They just sit in their 
their chambers and their halls and they lecture and boo, boo they suck. <laughs> Big thumbs down for the listeners. <laughs> yeah, those Bimbridge elites, dude. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're being surrounded by a brainwashed mob covered in boils and sores. <laughs> I did love when John pretends to like he pretends to chant Emotep to hide it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. And I like that they couldn't tell either. That was very yeah. funny. Hell, hey, why would they? <laughs> he's, yeah. he's on board. Mm-hmm. For this scene, they applied 147 prosthetics in three hours, which is about oh, one man. every seven and a half minutes. That's crazy. It is crazy. They said that they thought it was a record at the time. I didn't look mm-hmm. any further into it other than them saying, we think that it was a record. <laughs> so, I don't know. There's been a lot of zombie movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so maybe, maybe not. Thankfully, it was at night shoots, so they didn't have to make it stick in 130 degree heat. Right. They do all get into the car, though, and they run over a ton of people where it's like, it's funny because, you know, they're brainwashed, but also they're brainwashed, man. Cut them a little slack. They're people. Yeah. (laughs) They do kill them without remorse. It's pretty, pretty crazy. There is a lot of fun stunts here in this sequence, though, like exploding fruit stands, a Three Stooges eye poke. Like they were yeah. going for it. All they needed was a line that says, uh, oh, the, these people are already dead. Yeah. You know? know, boom, they came from the grave. Yeah. <laughs> Emotep does finish regenerating and the crowd has cornered them and he promises to spare Evie's friends if she comes with them. But the crowd advances anyway, which I'm like, that's a fun betrayal. Why would he? Why would he do that? Like, why would mm-hmm. he agree to do that? If fuck them. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Bay holds them off with his own life, though, to give them a chance to escape down the sewer. And uh, they find Winston Havelock, who's a drunk RAF officer. He had been in the movie previously. He did get set up. I mm-hmm. kind of moved past that scene. But he had mm-hmm. reminisced about his not being able to go out in a blaze of glory like his compatriots. And they promise him here that he'll get his chance on this mission. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty fun character for just kind of dipping in and out of the movie. Mm-hmm. He wasn't Hogan's hero, this guy, and they implied that this might be his character all these years later, which is also a fun little homage. Yeah. And he does fly them over, but the sand tornado approaches the biggest one he's ever seen. And hey, it's (laughs) carrying Benny and Evie. It's the damn mummy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. The, like, slow, like, the fact that they, like, have to realize that it was the mummy was funny to me, even though it's like, Mm -hmm. there's no reason for them to know. That it w- that he could be a huge sand tornado, but I right. just feel like at that point, any sand, I'm like, that's the fucking mummy. <laughs> yeah, anything bad happening right now, it's probably the mummy. It's probably a good guess. <laughs> Classic mummy's curse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does raise this huge storm to drive them away, and his face is even in it, smirking, which I love. That's great. Evie distracts him though with a kiss, just in time to let the crew land safely. Is generous, but they are alive except Winston, who gets his wish. Mm-hmm. I love Benny's line. I loved the whole sand wall trick. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like he's a he's a funny little rascal, that Benny. <laughs> Great character. Yeah, and it is also a fun moment where Evie tells him nasty little fellows like him always get their comeuppance. Where for me, as an audience member, that's half the fun of this character. Is yeah, I like seeing him be a pest and and scrambling underneath these guys' feet. But then at the end, he's got to get his comeuppance. Mm-hmm. John gets scarabed real quick while they try and break into the tomb, which is, you're like, holy shit, John. Mm-hmm. But O'Connell does save him, which is good. But shooting that scarab, which he does shoot and hit this one. So maybe he was hitting the scarabs earlier. <laughs> yeah, he's a good shot. Yeah. It reveals their presence. So the mummy raises some ghost soldiers from the damn wall. Mm-hmm. Rick and company do find the actual treasure of legend, though. Very badass when he shoots the mirror and it lights the room. What a fun scene that is. Mm-hmm. And the priests erupt from the ground to fight them. It's pretty rad looking as well. The gang lights them up. They all have heavy weaponry now at this point. <laughs> Just unleash <laughs> on them. Yeah. Benny follows the sound. He's thrilled to find the gold and he's running off with a bag full and a camel. And Evie is tied up for this ritual while the boys find the statue of Horus and the book inside. The dude's worshiping at the altar is very creepy. This is, you know, just kind of a little background thing that's happening. But there's like a bunch of zombies who are on the floor going nuts. Anak comes back to life as well, which is also very cool and creepy. Mm-hmm. But her ritual is interrupted a second time by Jonathan now. Mm-hmm. Rick uses the distraction to run in with a sword. There's some very fun music in this sequence here where he's chopping him up and eventually frees Evie. I thought this is, you know, that classic adventure score, the swelling. It, it was just very fun. Yeah. They're attacked by more soldiers and even the corpse of the mistress. Great classic moment where Rick chops the rope and he rides up it. You got to get that in there. 
Yeah. Burton said that the, the soldier mummies were born from influence by Hong Kong warrior period pieces, but blended in a way so as to not leave the horror genre. I think that this is really cool. I love the way that they advance mm-hmm. in this formation. Yeah, it's creepy. Like, you know, they're zombies and they seem mindless, but they start coordinating and stuff almost instinctively like yeah. animals. It's kind of scary. Definitely. You know? And there's also some homage to the original Jack Pierce mummy makeup in this scene, which is, you know, you got to have that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John finishes reading the inscription on the front of the book, allowing him to command the soldiers and saving Rick just in time. And they chop up a Noxuna moon. And now the mummy is really pissed. <laughs> he says, this is the yeah. second time this has happened and I'm over it. Mm-hmm. Rick keeps him busy in quotes by getting his ass kicked while Evie and John <laughs> unlock the book and start reading. And Evie finds an incantation that makes a, jo- a, a ghost chariot come and steal his immortality which lets Rick stab him and finally kill him. And the mummy sinks back into the waters, surrounded by the souls of the dead and turning back into his old decomposed self. As he says, death is only the mm-hmm. beginning. Great outro for this guy. Mm-hmm. Benny, he could have got away, but he went back for more gold. His greed was the end of him. Mm-hmm. He accidentally triggers a trap that lowers the ceiling. John loses the book while they're running out and Benny is right behind them, but doesn't quite make it. Rick even tries to help him, but yeah, he can't get out in time, and he's stuck in the treasure room as these flesh-eating scarabs emerge again, and the lights go out. Bad way to go, but Mm -hmm. Benny, you earned it, pal. (laughs) The trio does make it to the surface as everything collapses. It's quite the spectacle. A wrapped hand reaches out to grab John's shoulder, which is a funny gag at the end. (laughs) I was like, yeah, go out on a joke. Turns out it's Bay, who made it past the explosion (laughs) and the mummies, and he says, you've earned our respect. Good luck getting home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great, too. He's like, I'm not going to actually help these guys. They're like, they're still yeah, it's not my job. Who caused this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they do. We do finally get our kiss between Evie and Rick as they all ride off into the sunset. You know, we've talked the whole time about why it's really good. But now, Asan, mm-hmm. we've reached the part of the episode where we sum up why it's not just a good horror movie, but is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say... First reason it's one of the best horror movies is because it gave us a truly terrifying version of the mummy that didn't exist before and did, you know, they presented us with a mummy that isn't clearly a guy in a suit, which is a testament to the movie. I think that 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 earns it, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I to me, this is the best horror movie ever made because not only is it bringing a genre that I enjoy into the present Mm -hmm. in a way that does benefit the the movie and the genre at large, I think. Mm -hmm. But the performances are all fantastic. Everyone's having a lot Mm -hmm. of fun. It is a cool looking movie. The technology is really like, it's right in that transitory period where there is still some practical stuff happening, but the the, uh, effects are really used as a, a, a spice and it, and it, it mm-hmm. brings the movie to another level instead of just replacing the movie, you know, and totally. they just do such a great job. It is. I think this is great because it is also a family horror movie. You know, there is there is yes. a lot of body horror, like you said, in it. I think there are some legitimately scary moments in it. But I think that for a kid like me who watched it and was very scared but made it through. And a lot of kids, this could be a really great introduction to horror. And and mm-hmm. I think that that is something that is special and should be celebrated. I agree. Uh, yeah, this sits right in there with me, like with Beetlejuice and, and movies like that that kind of got me into horror movies that, you know, I could appreciate what horror movies are trying to do before I got to the really traumatic scary Absolutely, ones. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But look, a big part of the best is being accessible to a lot of people and and not yeah. alienating people who are trying to get into that thing and this pulls it off with such a plum it it is good for horror fans it is good for action fans it's good for comedy fans it's good for romance fans <laughs> there it is Dwayne johnson would be proud that's right and that's why this is the best horror movie ever made ever made asan i want to thank you so much for coming on the show man this was so much fun please tell the people where they can find you any plugs all that jazz 
George, thank you so much for having me on the show. This was a lot of fun. I love talking about movies, especially movies that I love. You can find me, man, twice a week on Carl Calls His Cousin, which is on the Flagrant Ones Patreon, patreon.com slash the Flagrant Ones. I do a podcast about movies and pop culture and all things like that called The Weekly Regular. That's available uh, wherever you get podcasts. Yeah. That's where you can find me. If you want to follow me on social media, you can find me at uh, mainly Instagram at Asan the DJ at A H S O H N the DJ. Perfect. Definitely check all that stuff out. I'm a listener to Carl Calls His Cousin. It's a ton of fun. I it was what a great addition to the Flagrant family. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. That means a lot. As far as my plugs, you can find me at Little Horror PHL. That's across everywhere but unlike asan i am mostly on twitter as opposed to instagram (laughs) (laughs) all right i recently went off twitter but yeah yeah hey i get it i get it (laughs) yeah i had to for my soul george for my soul sure sure and and who could blame you (laughs) but i am on instagram still uh, somewhat and Mm -hmm. uh, and letterboxd as well if you're interested on that platform yeah and if you're really enjoying the show, you can check out the Patreon for just a couple bucks a month. You get all kinds of fun episodes about stuff that doesn't necessarily fit onto the main feed. Mm-hmm. We've talked about movies that are just interesting instead of maybe the best. We've talked about uh, supplementary stuff, like we talked about EC Comics with Andy, um, who was also on the, the Flagrant Fam for a long yeah, time. Yeah. Talked about EC Comics and uh, and the way that Tales from the Crypt influenced him and, mm-hmm. and a lot of great stuff now. We just had Clay Tatum. Uh, Mm -hmm. from American Arts and Culture Review, come on to talk about PT, the Silent Hills, playable teaser, so we talk about video games Mm -hmm. and stuff Mm -hmm. on there. All kinds of stuff. So yeah, check that out if you're enjoying the show. And uh, rate and review, because it does help. All right, folks, that's it for me. Thanks. Bye.